0: Please take a seat. I don't know if you can relate to the following scenario. I can't in any way, shape or form. But let's just hypothetically say that I'm lying on the couch watching TV. And it's middle of the day, Saturday. And as I'm watching TV, Lyndall, my wife, comes in and says, Ralph, can you cut the grass? It's never happened. Um, But I say, I say, sure, yep, I'll cut the grass. She goes, thanks, and she wanders off. About half an hour later, she returns. She says, oh, I, uh, I don't I mean to inconvenience you because I'm still watching TV. Um, can, you, can you cut the grass sometime today? Yep, I'm on it. Not a worry. She comes back about half an hour later. And then things start to, to increase in intensity. She says, um, I've asked you twice. Grass is still long. Can you cut the grass? And I say, I'll just finish watching this show. As soon as it's done, I'm out there like a bullet. By the time she comes back, all I need is to hear the footsteps down the hallway. And I am out the backyard like a bullet. Because there is wrath about to be unleashed on me for this, this, this moment. And, and the question I want to ask today is... Is that sacrificial, what I was doing? Is it sacrificial worship? Is it sacrificial servanthood? I mean, really, what was being sacrificed was my time in front of the TV, right? But there was nothing in me that sought to sacrificially help or serve Lyndall in any way, shape, or form. Hypothetically, of course, because it's never happened, right? But just saying it has. Our lives of faith can look similar. When God says, can you do this? We go, yep, I'll get to it. And God comes back with a little bit more grace than, than Lindor and says, can you, can you do it? There's this opportunity, I need you to do it. We go, yep, I'll get to it, I'll just, I'll just do this. And then God's footsteps are heard down the hall and we, we panic and out of fear of God, we rush toward that which we know God wants us to do. And that's not the heart God wants us to have. He doesn't want us to, to, one, be stuck in our comfort or our complacency or our self-preservation, but two, he doesn't want us to be so scared of him that we would do something. He wants us to get engaged in sacrificial worship, where we worship him out of love, but it costs us something. We've been looking at Adventurous Faith the last number of weeks. Can anyone remember who we started with, which character we started with? David was the overwhelming, I can't hear everybody, David, 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 we started with David, and we talked about, as he turned toward Goliath, he looked at Goliath and went, my God is so much bigger than Goliath, and he went forward in that, and then we looked at Gideon, and Gideon took on the strength of God. He, he claimed what God had put in him, even though he didn't have any strength to do the things that God had called him to. And last week, we looked at that character that does not belong in the New Testament. Samson, you know, the guy that just, ha- we have no idea how he actually got mentioned in the Hall of Faith, did not deserve it. But we saw Christ in his life. And that's what the readers of the New Testament wanted their audience to grasp. They wanted to see the life of Christ. And so today, we look at Abel who was featured in the reading that we just did. Verse 2 from Genesis 4 says, Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. These are basically the the sons of Adam and Eve. They're, They're some of the first people, the first stories in humanity. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. He was not impressed with what Cain brought to the table, but he was impressed with what Abel brought to the table. And it's quite obvious, the conclusion, that God, like me, enjoys meat more than vegetables. But that's the takeaway. So we're done. Let's close in prayer. Now, <laughs> it had nothing to do with whether it was crops and plants or whether it was meat and, and, and lamb. It had very little to do with that. What was actually the compelling point was the state of the heart of that one bringing the sacrifice. In fact, all through Scripture you see that the, the sacrifice itself is, is very minimal, but the heart that the, the worshipper brings determines everything. And, and 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 their heart determined how valuable their sacrifice would be. Abel's heart, his faith was adventurous. It was, God, I will put myself upon you and see what happens. And Cain wasn't holding back the good stuff for me. To understand the implications of this, we need to do a really brief overview of the Old Testament's sacrificial system. And so here it is in a nutshell. There were requirements of the law that you needed to be made right with God, and the way you were made right with God is you would bring a sacrifice. If you had access to livestock or to birds or to whatever, at a certain point in the year, and there were many festivals, but you would bring an animal to the altar, to the priest, and the priest would cut the throat of the animal and bleed it out and cut it open and it was disgusting. It was graphic. It wasn't PG. It was just horrendous. There's blood everywhere. Harvest the organs, use the different parts for different things and basically burn up the lot on the altar. A burnt up altar and offering to God. If you were a farmer, if you didn't have access to animals but you did have a crop or you had a vineyard, you would bring the very best and you would bring it to the altar and it would be burnt Up. The point is, the whole system, as if you were participating in it, it cost you dearly. It cost you dearly. To sacrifice the first fruits, as they were called, was painful. And that's what we need to understand it was painful. Because if you had your best bull, that would determine what the rest of the herd would be like in future generations. It would determine the pedigree and the quality and the strength and the power and the value. And the sacrificial system says that is the one that you bring to the temple to sacrifice. You start to go, ooh, gosh, that that would be painful. But it's the same with with the crops, with, with whatever it was. So what if the second in line, so not the very best of the crop, or the herd, but the second in line was rubbish, was not good, was not strong, was weak. And what if there was no second in line? What do you do then? What if everything else was in such poor condition that the first one could save you? And you were required to bring that to God and to give that to God when your very livelihood, your whole life and your family's future hung on this. The other day, Zari, who's six, was eating some chocolate. She loves chocolate. And um, she doesn't get it very much, which is why when she comes here for morning tea or she goes to Friendship Club, she goes bananas because it's like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. This is incredible, all these treats. And she just goes to town them. So she's eating this piece of chocolate and she's nibbling away at it and she gets to, I think she had like two pieces and she gets to halfway through and she looks at the chocolate and then she comes and finds me and she says, Dad, I want you to have this. Last piece of chocolate. And I said, I can't take that from you. It's your last piece of chocolate. And she says, I want you to have it, Daddy. And I said, Why? And she said, because I love you. You see, when we look at this kind of sacrifice, we see the cost. But when when the, the giver whose heart is right, they see love. And that's the parallel in the sacrificial system. That Abel had this overwhelming love for God. That for him it wasn't a sacrifice, it was simply an offering of worship. Whereas Cain loved himself more than he loved God, and he struggled to bring the very best to God. See, Abel offers this worthy sacrifice. Abel also brought an offering, the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, you've got to remember, this is the start of the sacrificial system. It's not like it had been going and they chime in. This is kind of where it, it began from. But the fat portions can only be obtained from an animal when you kill the animal, right? Right? There's no cheap skating around it. If you want the fat portions, the animal has to pay for its life. But the fat portions were the most expensive, the most versatile, the most valuable part of the animal. They they could be used for a number of different things. And so what Abel was saying is, I'm going to take the most valuable part of this sacrifice. I'm I'm going to bring it to God. I'm going to give it to you, God. He sacrifices his best He places all of his security in God. His heart orientates toward God in worship. His faith is adventurous to the point that he goes, I can't control what happens after I offer this sacrifice. And so, God, I trust that you can control it, and you will control it, and he offers it. See, Abel's adventurous faith was displayed in his worship. Abel knew that sacrificial worship would strengthen his faith and that his adventurous faith would lead to more sacrificial worship. All the while, Cain skimped, kind of glossed over it. He tried to get by. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. There is nothing glorious about that. It's like he did what he was supposed to do because that's what he was required to do. And God says this to Cain in verse 6. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Self-preserving worship opens the door to sin in our lives. And sacrificial, adventurous, faith-filled worship slams the door shut. It propels us. When we, when we come to this with a heart that is adventurous faith, when we say, God, you are my be-all and my end-all, when we come to God with that, it propels us into his goodness and his faithfulness and his trust. See, in Cain's life, we discover that worship is the antidote to violence and aggression and hatred and vengeance and bitterness and anger. If some of those things that I've just mentioned struck a chord in you and you're like, oh, I don't want anyone to know, but that's something I deal with, worship is the antidote to that. But when you come to God with a sincere heart to worship Him, and I don't just mean like how we sing on a Sunday, I'm talking about the condition of our heart every day with God. Is that heart, is our life worshipping God? When you come to God with a sense of that, you will find that these other things will dissipate. They will lose their grip on you, they will fall away. But how hard can it be? How hard is sacrificial worship? We all wish we were better at it, right? When everything within us, it screams, what about me? That's why we don't want to sacrifice, because what about me? You see, the strength of that internal voice, what about me? It keeps us locked in self-preservation mode. I just need to preserve my life. I don't don't trust God enough to give him my life. I just want to preserve my life. And God knows that. He knows that that is the voice within us. He knows that is the battle of the flesh. He knows that every person on this planet struggles with that. He knows how ultimately selfish and insecure we can all be. And so, and here's the brilliance of it all, he goes first. God goes first. In and through Jesus, he steps up to the altar that that we know as the cross. And he offers his life as a sacrifice. He says, I will become their sacrifice for them. I will pay the debt that that animal, that firstborn, pays every year. I will pay it forever. And I will do it because I love them so much that I want them to be right with me. I want us to have a relationship. I want them to know what it is for a God to love them, that they might dare to love and trust me back. And so Jesus offers himself fully on our behalf that we might get what every person in the Old Testament longed for, to be made right with God. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are made right with God. You see, Old Testament sacrifices, they were costly to a person. They represented their livelihood and their future and all of their, their, their kingdom. And when they offered that up, in, in the symbolism of this first fruit, as they offered it up, God said, Oh, you, you've got my heart, you're right with me, we're good. And it happened on a regular basis for people to renew that in their lives. They were temporarily saying, God, I I forsake providing for my family because I'm giving you this first fruits. I trust that you will do it. And every generation, if you think about this, the first fruit of every generation of say of, of cattle weakens the line all the way down. And so it's this sense of God this the direction this sacrifice is leading me in ends me in disaster and having nothing apart from the fact that you are good and you love me and you can save me. That's what's captured in Jesus' sacrifice for us, that we inherit the providence of God, that the things we've been holding on to and hoping in, we can actually let go of and relinquish because God says, I've got you, I care for you, I love you, I've shown you through my son Jesus Christ. See, God provides for our needs that are created when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus. And every week I want to give you the opportunity to renew that or to claim that or to say it again, that maybe you've missed the sacrifice of Christ. Maybe it hasn't become real for you. Maybe it hasn't defined your life. And I just want to invite you into conversation with God about that, into wrestling with God about that, into accepting from God about that. In 1908, the Irish explorer Ernest Shackleton, have you ever heard of Ernest Shackleton? He was a legend. (gasps) He headed to the Antarctic expedition, attempting to reach the South Pole. They came 97 miles short. At the time, it was the furthest anyone had ever got, 97 miles short. And think about the horrendous environment he was in, and they were in deep trouble. Their rations were running out, uh, their food, their energy, their hope, it was, it was all distraught. And in his diary, Shackleton told of the time when their food supplies were nearly at naught, and every man had a ration of this thing called hardtack, which was like a really hard biscuit you could sort of chew on and munch on that would sustain them nutritionally. Um, and some of the men um, took this and they, they ate it early in the expedition and others savoured theirs and held it till, till late. But it got to the point where, where people were, were eating the snow or melting it into to tea to, to sustain themselves in some way. So it was, it was kind of in the worst part of the whole mission for everybody. And Shackleton talks about there was a night when the men had jumped into their sleeping bags and they were, they were looking at another cold night where, where they would just be distraught and restless and, uh, and, and so forth. And, and he was, they were around the fire and he's almost fallen asleep. And out of the corner of the eye he glimpses his most trusted man sitting by the fire looking to see if anyone was watching, looking to see if anyone was asleep. And when his most trusted man felt like everybody had gone to sleep and wasn't there, he reached over to the bag that was next to him and he pulled it open and shackled and his horrified that his most trusted man is going to steal the final rations from one of their, their other fellow things. And as he pulled the bag over, he looked around and then he took his ration and he placed it in the bag of his friend and pushed the bag away. Adventurous faith, it's sustained and begins with love and not just love for each other but when we realise how much we are loved by God that we can be adventurous in our faith we can do the things that we think I'm too tired I'm too exhausted I'm too old I've done that before and God says no 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 I still have more for you it might look different but I've placed this deep love in you that I still want it to spill over into the lives of others Love displayed in sacrificial acts like worship. We need to do this because when we lift God up, we are lifted up. So let's pray. God, we want our lives to just mirror worship to you. We are so thankful that you took the place of that final sacrifice for eternity for us. With your blood, you paid what our blood should have paid. You freed us and you restored us to yourself. You made us right with you. Lord, for for those who have not accepted the truth of that, I pray that they might now. That it might come hurtling into their lives restructuring their hearts, changing their values, washing away their sin. And Lord, I pray it is out of that space we live this week to worship you in all that we do, to uplift you in all that we do, to serve you in all that we do, that as we do, we might know more of your love for us. You might, you might gain the expression of our love for you and that our faith may become more and more adventurous. So, Lord, we pray these things, hoping and trusting in the power of your Spirit to move in us this week. We ask this in your name. Amen. Our final hymn today is At the Name of Jesus, if you'd like to stand as we sing.